The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Julius Kim. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. And if you would turn with me in God's Word to the book of Genesis, chapter 44, we're going to begin our reading at verse 14. If you're wondering who I am, my name is Reverend Godfrey. I'm the pastor of Grace United Reformed Church in Torrance, California, and I've had the privilege of being on sabbatical and helping out a little bit with teaching here in the fall, so I've been glad to be with you to get to know some of you. Um, Those of you in the second year I haven't seen much of, and I hear you had Psalms and Wisdom this morning, so I grieve with you, and I pray that the Lord might give you a time of blessing and relief in this hour. So Genesis chapter 44, uh, beginning our reading at verse 14, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father." Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes down with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol." Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father 
if the boy is not with me. I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Let's go to God and ask for his help in understanding it. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that the grass withers and the flowers fail, but your word stands forever. We know that we need your help to understand it, so would you open our minds to understand the mysteries revealed in Christ? Would you open our eyes to see wondrous things out of your word, of whom Christ is the foremost? And would you open our hearts to understand and love him better, and open our ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church? And help us even in this hour to understand your word. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, really this morning, in a lot of ways, we're picking up where Dr. Telfer left off with Judah. Um, He led us ably through that dark chapter in Judah's life of his uh, toil and his struggle trying to keep his sons alive, the sins that he engaged in with Tamar, how he was caught out in his embarrassment, and how the Lord used that to work a difference in his life and to maintain the covenant line. And we find here in this passage that that covenant family again experiencing trouble. They've gone once down to Egypt in the midst of a great famine to buy food. They had a harrowing experience there. They were accused of being spies. They were held in prison for a while. They barely got out as, as they saw it. And when they discovered that their money was still in their sacks that they had used to buy grain, they were afraid that they'd be regarded as thieves. And now the famine is still in effect and they still need more food and Jacob makes this little seemingly innocuous request, just go down and buy a little food. Uh, Like Egypt is a corner store that you can easily just drop by. And they've had to remind him, no, we can't do that. We, We were told, we were solemnly warned about doing something like that. And they finally convince him to send Benjamin with them and they go down to Egypt and then we know the story that they... They hide the silver cup in Benjamin's saddlebags. They pretend to find it as if he's stolen it. Uh, they accuse him of being thieves, and they threaten to uh, make Benjamin a slave. Um, all of this happens in the context of the story of Judah. He's at the forefront of this story. We see that he constantly comes to the forefront in terms of two appeals. One he refers to in chapter 44 that really we read the substance of it in the earlier chapter, chapter 43, but we see his reference to a first appeal to his father before they went to Egypt, and then we see in this passage the second appeal he makes to his brother, not knowing, of course, that it's Joseph who sits as ruler uh, over Egypt under Pharaoh. So I want to think together about these two appeals that we see in Judah's life. To think about these two appeals, not only as we see him transformed from what he's been in Genesis, but also as we see in him the person and work of Christ revealed to us, uh, the kind of intercessor and mediator we need to see revealed to us in these two appeals. So when I think about the appeals, first his appeal to his father before leaving for Egypt that he recounts here in this passage. He comes to his father when his father says to him, go buy us a little food. And he says, no, the man solemnly warned us there were stern conditions about coming back. And the condition was you may not come back without your younger brother. It's a very simple formula that the man gave us. No Benjamin, no food. If we don't come back with Benjamin, he will not see us. We will not be able to do anything for our family. He, he begins by reminding his father of the reality of the situation. And then he goes on to remind his father of his responsibility for the family. He says, you know... Benjamin's life is not the only life to take into consideration here. 
It's easy for us to think of that first appeal as the appeal of a, a son to a father. But really, if we go back, and if I encourage you, if you have time to go back and read through Genesis 43, it's not really the appeal of a son to a father. It's the appeal of a father to a father. Judah comes as a father and says on behalf of his brothers, your son is not the only son who's threatened here. Your son is not the only son to be concerned with in the family. We are all fathers, and we all have children. And if you will not send Benjamin back, and if we will not have food to feed us, then all of us and all our little ones will die. And of course, that's not just the concern of a father, right? There's a, there's a covenant concern behind all of this. This is the promised line. All of them suffering famine and starvation in the promised land. And if they will not go find food in Egypt, they will not find food. And not only will their family die, but their family that represents that covenant promise of the Lord will die. Judah comes as a father to a father. One thing we see in this passage that's so unique is God has worked sovereignly in the life of Judah that he is a more fit intercessor before his father than any of his brothers. Because think of what Jacob really fears in this moment. What is he wrestling with at this particular time in his life? He's lost two sons, and he fears to lose a third. Right? Joseph is no more. Simeon has been imprisoned in Egypt. He has no idea whether Simeon will ever be released. And now he's being asked to send a third son away to Egypt. And what is his fear? What if he never comes back? What if having lost two sons, I now lose a third in this context? And you see how Judah as a father, coming to Jacob as a father, understands his trouble? Because Judah has lost two sons. Didn't we hear about that last time from Dr. Telfer? Judah has lost two sons, struck down by the Lord in their wickedness. And he had a third. Shelah, whose life he tried to preserve through his own ingenuity, through deceit, through lies, ending up with all kinds of unholy and wicked conduct. And Judah can come to his father and say, I understand that fear. And I understand what you're thinking. That there's a way out of this that you can work on by your own contrivance. Right? Judah, Jacob's been kind of a master of this his whole life. Through his strength, through his ingenuity, through his craftiness, he's made his way in the world. Um, always coming back to the realization that it really is God Almighty whose hand has guided him all throughout. But here he's in a place where he can't move forward or backward. There's nothing that his strength can do. He's, he's now an old man. There's nothing that his ingenuity can do. There's no way to trick his way out of food in Egypt. And Judah can come to him in a unique way and say, as a father, I understand what you're trying to do. I understand you are trying to preserve the life of your son, but take it from me. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. There's a way that you can try to connive and, and, and scheme and whatever, but it's not going to get your son back. That's not the way to protect his life. There's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. And trust me, I know I've done it the wrong way. 
But here's the right way to do it. Entrust him to my care. I will be a pledge of his safety. And if I don't bring him back safely, I will bear the loss of it forever. What do we, what do we see of Christ in this first appeal? We see someone who can sympathize with weakness. Right? To sympathize with weakness, as the writer of Hebrews talks about it in chapter 4 of Hebrews, is to be able to understand completely what someone is going through. And here we, we understand, we get to see a picture of why that is so important, that Judah be able to come to his father and say, I understand completely what you are going through. And it gives us a vivid picture of what it is to have a Savior who can come to all of us, all of it, all of us who wrestle with all kinds of different things, all kinds of different weakness. I've gotten to know some of you over the course of this semester. I don't know all of you well. I don't know what the weaknesses are that you are struggling with. Some of you are struggling with the weakness of Psalms and wisdom just being over. Um, some of you are struggling with the weakness of trying to keep up with the course load as you're doing it. Some of you are struggling with, where will I go from here in the future? Where will God lead me? Where will I have opportunities to serve? How will I serve when it's my responsibility to shepherd the people of God? Where is my place in this world? We are all struggling with a weakness. And what a wonderful reminder is we have a Savior who understands completely. Who understands completely and who enters into our weakness with His power. Right? It's one thing just to sympathize. We try to do that with people. We can't always understand completely how they feel, but we do try to sympathize with them. We try to offer a word of help, but we always recognize, and if you don't realize it yet, you will when you get into the pastoral ministry, you realize you can't help everyone. You're desperate to help. You're desperate to see them help, but you realize your own weakness in helping them. What we're reminded of is we have a Lord who's powerful to help. There is a throne of grace where you can receive mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. Judah doesn't just sympathize with his father, he rises to the challenge. He, he promises to do all that's in his power to protect the life of his brother. And that pledge of safety is put to the test in this second appeal. Because when, jo- when Judah pledged to be the safeguard of his, son, of his brother, I'm not sure he realized that it would be uh, the possibility of his own lifelong enslavement. He makes a pledge of safety not knowing what's going to happen in the future, and now he's in the future. He's standing before before Joseph, and Joseph is saying, your brother's going to be a slave for the rest of his life. He stole my cup. The one who steals my cup will be my slave. And it puts Judah to the test. This test falls on Judah's shoulders with a particular weight. He's become the leader of the brothers here. He's speaking for the family. He spoke for Benjamin. He took responsibility. Now he's standing before Pharaoh, and now and before Pharaoh's servant, I should say, and now he's learning that it's going to be a matter of Benjamin's lifelong slavery. And here he is confronted, this same brother who was the ringleader when they sold Joseph into slavery. Right? The favored son of his father who they sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. And it was Judah's plan because he said, you know, killing him puts no money in our pockets, brothers. Let's sell him and let's let these Ishmaelites be responsible for his blood. We don't want his blood on our hands after all. He is our brother. Now here's the very one who sold a brother into slavery with another brother facing the prospect of slavery. 
And how does he argue for him? Well, first he pleads the love he has for his father. Notice that the motivation of his plea is first and foremost for the love of his father. It is for his father's sake he pleads for the life of his brother. He says, my father loves him. His life is bound up with him. If you kill him, my father will die. I can't come back without him. I can't return to my father's house without my brother. It will kill him. And he recounts the story to Joseph, and he says, and I'm the one who took responsibility for his safety. I was the pledge of his safety. And I can't go back and face the evil that would come to my father if I return without my brother. I think the unspoken message here is I've seen this once before. I've seen what it did to my father to return home without the favored son and have to report he's not coming home. And I can't bear that loss again. I can't see that evil again. That time it almost killed him. This time it will kill him. I can't go back again. I have taken a pledge for his safety. And even though when I made the pledge, I didn't know what I was pledging, but he comes to the point of saying to Joseph, take me instead of him. It's not a plea for mercy. It's a plea for substitution. I give my life for his life. And we see in that moment the transforming grace of God at work in the life of Judah, the one who sold his brother into slavery for 20 pieces of silver, is now willing to buy his brother's freedom at the cost of his life. He's willing to go into lifelong slavery that his brother might go free. And speaking to a room full of seminarians, I hardly need to show you where Christ is in that, do I? Think about what Christ did for us in that great council with the Father before time in history, where the Father set his love on his elect, had a purpose to redeem them from before the foundations of the world, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who became the pledge of our safety, and told his Father in that great covenant of redemption, right, that I will be the pledge of safety for my siblings, for the elect who will become my brothers and sisters. I will take the pledge of safety for them. And he comes into the world in time and history, and what does he do? He offers himself as a substitute for his people. And why? Well, first for the love he has for his father. He loves his father so much that he has to redeem his father's people. He cannot come back to his father's house without his brothers and sisters. He will not because of the love he has for the Father. And because the Father loves his brothers and sisters, Christ loves his brothers and sisters with that same kind of eternal, never-failing, ferocious kind of love that will not let them go. What is the end of the story then that we don't get to? Judah comes back home with his brother. In fact, he comes home even better than Jacob could ever have imagined because he comes home with the one loved brother and says, you know what, Joseph is still alive. And the way God works sovereignly through this, he not only brings Benjamin back to his father, he brings Joseph back. He brings a covenant family together. He comes home with all of his brothers. 
Isn't that the great reality that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ? He comes into this world to be the pledge of safety for his siblings. And when he comes home, he doesn't miss anyone. All of his brothers and sisters he brings home with him safely to his father's home. And that's ultimately our hope in Jesus Christ, that he is the kind of brother who for the love of his father will appeal for his siblings and will not let them go, who offered himself as a substitute in death on the cross, not just to slavery, but to death and to curse on our behalf, that we might go free and that he might bring us safely home. Is it any surprise that when it comes time for, jo- for Jacob to bless his sons, He looks at Reuben and says, unstable as water. And he looks at the next two oldest, Simeon and Levi, and says, men of blood. And he looks at Judah and says, there's a king. There's a king. The Holy Spirit shows us that this is the kind of king God's people need. One who can sympathize with weakness. One who can secure their safety and bring them all safely home. Praise God that he's given us such a king in our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our elder brother, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, how thankful we are for our King and Lord Jesus Christ, that he defends us and preserves us in the salvation that he has won for us, that he is willing to come from heaven and to be humble, to take the form of a servant and to die a death even on the cross that he might raise us up to newness of life and bring us safely home. How thankful we are for his kingship, for his high priestly care for us, for his continued prophetic work preaching this truth in our lives. How thankful we are for the work he did in Judah's life that gives us hope of the transforming grace of Christ, but also he pictures for us that Son of God who comes in glory to save your people. We thank you for our elder brother. May we continue to grow in grace and to continue to seek his face at his throne of grace that we might find uh, mercy and grace to help in our time of need. We thank you that he has done all in his power to save us and saved us to the uttermost. Uh, May we never forget that great salvation and trust in him. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.